Amen. If you're not familiar with that, that is a song called Commission. And it in many ways summarizes what takes place in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, and what we refer to often as the Great Commission, where God is sending us to go and to proclaim the good news of Christ. At this time, the children are dismissed to Children's Church. I see Miss Amy over there in the corner. It is such a blessing to be able to celebrate uh, this day with you, to be able to celebrate the Lord. Um, no doubt that everyone here could attest to God's faithfulness throughout many times in your lives, difficulty that comes our way. In fact, this is perhaps the factor that gives us the most encouragement as we go through difficult times. It is the fact that Jesus goes with us even during difficult days. I heard an illustration this past week, and I am unashamedly going to steal that illustration today. I remember learning as a kid how to pick out eggs at a grocery store. I was to open up the carton, inspect the eggs, inspect each of them. If there were any eggs that were cracked, I was to put the whole dozen back and get another one that had 12 uncracked eggs. For many of us, we half expect God to inspect the carton and be disappointed to find that we might be cracked eggs. Within the Christian faith, people who are fully devoted to Jesus Christ, there are many different types of cracks that we carry. Some of us have more than one crack in our egg. Some of us are cracked due to natural ailments. There are some who struggle with physical health issues or even mental health issues. And as a result, we are very much aware of those cracks, of those imperfections. Others are cracked due to being mishandled by others. We've been betrayed or we've been rejected by people that we've loved and we've cared for. And often with no good reason at all, we have been damaged. Still others are cracked as a result of their long-term baggage. They were raised in perhaps ungodly homes, often under privileged circumstances, and they've learned habits and lifestyle choices that hinder their current walk with Christ. And finally, there are those who are cracked by their own choices. In their case, it's not their environment or what other people have done to them. It is the self-destructive behaviors that seem to constantly reappear within our lives. The truth is that there are a lot of cracked eggs within the church today. But I want you to know that God knows about all of your cracks. He does inspect the egg, but he does not put you back when he finds the cracks. Instead, he sets off to repair the egg so that what is imperfect can be made whole. Two Sundays ago, I shared with you about Stephen. He was uh, one who seemed blessed by God, yet he was also one that was persecuted and he was attacked for his faith. I, it wouldn't take much to see that he faced one really big trial. His egg was cracked because he was mishandled by others, rejected and betrayed by others simply because he was faithful to the Lord. No doubt I could give you countless examples of such individuals in the New Testament, those who were arrested, beaten, betrayed, or even killed. 
I want us to look at a couple of cracked eggs whom God chose to make whole this morning. Their story is found in Acts chapter 4. I know many of you want to be able to read along with us. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4. It's the story of Peter and John. But before we read this passage, I want us to talk about who Peter and John truly were. We're first introduced to them in Luke chapter 5. I know I already told you we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, but it's going to take a little bit before I get there. In Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, we read about their first encounter with Jesus. It says this, while Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, many people pushed to get near him. They wanted to hear the word of God. Jesus saw two boats on the shore. The fishermen were not there because they were washing their nets. Jesus got into a boat which belonged to Simon, and Jesus asked him to push it out a little way from land. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, push out into the deep water. Let down your nets for some fish. Simon said to him, teacher, we have worked all night and we have caught nothing But because you told me to, I will let the net down. When they had done this, they caught so many fish, their nets started to break. They called to their friends working in the other boat to come and help them. They came and both boats were so full of fish, they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he got down at the feet of Jesus. and He said, go away from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. He and all those with him were surprised and wondered about the many fish. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also surprised. They were working together with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for men. When they came to land with their boats, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, Peter and John basically are local fishermen working out of the Lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. And while they likely were very curious about this teacher who commanded the crowd, they didn't actually show up that day just to hear Jesus. They were just there to do their jobs. Remember, they were washing their nets, and he just happened to be there. So just from what we already have seen, they're local fishermen, they're from Galilee, And they're in the right place at the right time. As fishermen, they tended to be identified often as a lower class of Jew. They probably smelled like fish constantly. And there's no doubt that many of the fishermen in that day and time were pretty rough around the edges. In fact, Peter confirms this even in his response to Jesus there in verse 8. Listen to it again. When Simon Peter saw it, he got down at the feet of Jesus and he said, go away from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. He is very much aware of the cracks in his shell. He's very much aware of the fact that he is an imperfect individual who has not always made the best choices. It is safe to assume that James and John were not all that different from Peter. While they probably were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, they probably weren't raised in the home of some religious leader. In fact, they probably weren't even the most educated of men, although they at least knew enough to be able to run a family business. 
About the only complimentary thing that I would identify on the front end of their story is that when Jesus wanted to go out on the boat, these men accommodated him. Remember that they were actually on the shore cleaning their nets, and Jesus said, I want to set out in the boat, and they were good to do that. So I asked the question, who were Peter and John? It is safe to say that they were a couple of cracked eggs. They are not the most godly of men. They are not the most beautiful or even the most gifted of people, but they are willing. And in verse 10 and 11, we see that everything is about to change for them. Jesus tells them that they will be fishers of men and they respond by leaving everything to follow him. In the years that would follow, we see them standing out from the rest of the crowd. There are, of course, 12 officially named disciples, yet Jesus seems to choose three of them to be considered as Jesus's inner circle. We see, see that in Matthew 17. As we look at verse 1, it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. That would actually turn into an event that is often referred to as Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And on that occasion, Peter, James, and John would witness Jesus meeting with two ancient figures assumed to be Moses and Elijah. But the idea is that these individuals were specifically chosen for this role. The other nine disciples were not invited here. And this wasn't the only time that Peter, James, and John would be singled out. Later in the Garden of Gethsemane, as the arrest of Jesus drew near, they would once again serve as Jesus's inner circle. Listen to Matthew 26, verse 36 and 37. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now I chose this particular verse for a reason. Not only does it indicate that these men were specifically chosen for a unique role, but it also indicates that they are about to endure something very difficult. In particular, verse 37 says that Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. But it only makes sense that these men would also have developed a sense of sorrow along with Jesus. You ever been with someone for a while and the more time you spent with them, you knew when they were out of sorts. You knew when they were having a difficult day and you began to grieve alongside them. These disciples have gone from the triumphal entry where seemingly everyone was rejoicing over the coming Messiah to an evening where everything that could go wrong is going wrong. Jesus first declared that one of the disciples would betray Jesus. And now Jesus is overwhelmed with sorrow. In fact, we are told that as Jesus separated himself out to pray on that night, that he prayed with such fervency, such intensity, that he began to sweat drops of blood. So first, we see that they're ordinary men. Then they're chosen men but they also were grieved men. 
It's only logical that their grief would likely be magnified by the events that would take place later that same evening. We know that Peter would go away and he would weep bitterly following his own betrayal of Jesus. And we know that John would be the only disciple who is named as being at the cross when Jesus is crucified. Certainly, they had much grief. Can you see the new cracks that were forming in their shell? And that grief it would evolve a step further as they move from grief to outright defeat. Can you imagine them sitting around and sulking over the loss of Jesus? It seems very much understandable. These ordinary men who left everything to follow Jesus now find themselves heartbroken over the loss of Jesus, likely wondering, how did we get this all so wrong? When John 21, we see that Peter is tired of sitting around and just sulking, but he doesn't really know what to do next. So listen to what he says. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Now, I'll tell you what, that statement doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. But I want you to think about what he is saying for just a moment. On the one hand, Peter made a decision several years before that he was going to leave his old life behind. He's going to be a fisher of men. But in that statement, I am going fishing, what he is doing is he is going back to the familiar. And while I'd love to say that he's just going out to better process what's been going on, and certainly there were a lot of things that were going on, there is another side to what he is doing. When he committed to become a fisher of men, he was leaving to follow Jesus. Well, Jesus has just died. Why not go back to being just a normal fisherman? This hasn't worked out. It was a great experiment. Spent the last three years following Jesus around. Why not just go back? In fact, even if Jesus has truly been raised from the dead, this journey seems to be nearing its end. So Peter says, I'm going fishing. And everybody else says, all right, let's go. I'm going with you. They all feel defeated in that moment. Nothing has worked out the way they had planned. They left their families. They left their careers to follow Jesus. And now he's dead. Add to this the fact that the most intimate betrayals came from within. Judas. Well, we never trusted him anyways. That doesn't surprise us. But even Peter had denied knowing Jesus on the night of his arrest. Talk about cracked eggs. <laughs> what good could they be to God? Well, y'all know that this was not the end of their story. In the verses that follow in John 21, we see that Jesus restores Peter, asking him the do you love me question three times that I talked about just a few weeks ago. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would show up and he would come over the disciples and it was like someone flipped a switch within them. I remember talking with my dad many years ago and rarely do I use my dad uh, as an illustration, but he was still in the midst of a very sinful lifestyle. And he was reflecting on the wild and crazy things that he used to do with my uncle. 
But he said, all of a sudden, it was like someone had flipped a switch in my Uncle Kenny's life. He became a different person. Instead of staying out every night of the week, drinking and partying, my uncle wanted to be in church. He just wasn't interested in the same things. He wasn't the same person. By the way, it was the same uncle who would eventually invite my immediate family to come to church. Well, the same could be said of Peter and John, as well as the other remaining disciples. They're not the same people. It's like someone has flipped a switch. Yes, they are cracked eggs, but God was able to use those cracked eggs. In fact, listen to what happens in Acts 4. All of that was just to get us to our main scripture. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. We're going to stop there. I'll come back to the passage in just a moment. Why were these men being arrested? Had they done something selfish or perhaps inconsiderate? Perhaps they were thieves or even adulterers. Nope. They were arrested for doing good. In chapter 3, they healed a man who was begging for money. And instead of giving this guy money, Peter says, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give freely. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Now, we sound like a bit of a broken record here, but it sounds like an instant replay. Jesus did all this good, but the result was his betrayal and death. Stephen, whom we talked about two weeks ago, displayed many gifts, healing and teaching with great wisdom, and the result was betrayal and death. And here we have Peter and John doing something good, and the result is their arrest. Would death be next for them? Peter and John sit for a day or so in prison and then are brought before the religious ruling council the next day where they're forced to give an account of what has taken place. And I love this part of it because in their interrogation, everything changes. Instead of it being an interrogation, it turns into an opportunity for evangelization. They're going to share the good news. Listen to what it says, beginning in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Now, first, let me just say that I am amazed at their boldness, especially as Peter has already demonstrated himself to be a coward on his own. But here, he speaks boldly, giving credit where credit is due. 
Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. He's not backing down at all. He is addressing the fact that the sinful issue here is not the one who stands before you being judged, but within your own hearts. But it's actually verse 12 that stands out to me most significantly as it summarizes where our hope is found. It says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Listen to me this morning. There is no other source of salvation except Jesus Christ. And I know that we may seem a bit tolerant, as intolerant as Christians at times. But that's because salvation is exclusive. It's inclusive in the idea that it is an offer, it is an invitation that is given to everybody. But it is exclusive in that there is only one way to receive it. It's not through Allah. It's not through Buddha. It's not even through your good works. Salvation is found in no one else but the name of Jesus. That is our hope. That is what gives us a reason to get up in the morning. That is what gives us a reason to look forward to the return of Christ. It's because of what he has done. That's why we read in 1 John 2, 2, that he is the propitiation, the payment. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the payment for our sins. His blood being shed for us, salvation is found in no other. Let's go back to the boldness that is seen in Peter and John once more. This is such a contrast from what we saw in Peter just a few days earlier. How can you explain the transformation that has taken place in him? One of the gentlemen from this church gives me some devotional thoughts every Sunday morning before our first service. When he stopped by this morning, he said, I don't know if you ever actually read these. I do. In fact, I want to share with you something that was shared with me just this past week. It said this, I insist that the new birth was provided in the love and grace and wisdom of God in order to draw a sharp line between those who acquire Christianity by any other method and those who have experienced rebirth. Now, this next paragraph I have highlighted, so I'm asking you to listen to what it says. Let me warn you that if you are a Christian believer and have found a psychologist who can explain it to you exactly what happened to you in the matter of your faith, you have been unfrocked. I'll tell you what that word means in a moment. The honest psychologist can only stand off respectfully and say, behold the works of the Lord. He can never truly explain it. The humblest Christian is called to live a miracle, a life that is a moral and spiritual life with such intensity and such purity that no human being can do it. Only Christ Jesus can do it. The genuine child of God is someone who cannot be explained by human reasoning. The term unfrocked means to have the priestly garment removed. 
In other words, if you can explain away your transformation with anything other than look what God did, then your salvation is not truly of God. But one who is fully transformed into the likeness of Christ must give all the credit to God for what has taken place. Too many of us have tried to be good enough, but the truth is only Jesus can make us good enough. So what sets Peter and John apart? What makes them different? Listen to verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Please note that they were still unschooled, ordinary men. But apparently, there was now something extraordinary about them. It was the fact that they had been with Jesus. What is it that makes you extraordinary today? My fear is that there are many within the church who are striving to live up to a certain image. We're trying to be good enough. We're trying to accomplish Christianity. We're trying to mask the cracks in our egg to cover them up. But what we really need is to simply allow God to completely transform everything about us. Too many of us are carrying around our cracked eggs as a badge of honor. We're so proud of who we once were and even the sin that we have allowed to remain. God doesn't want to just cover up your sin. He doesn't want to just cover up the cracks. He wants to make you whole. Maybe it's time for us to stop trying to be so good and simply be fully surrendered to him, which will by nature cause us to be made new. If you would bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, oh, we are so grateful. We're so grateful that in spite of all the cracks, you have accepted us. You've offered us the opportunity to be made new. Father, we come before you today recognizing that every individual in this room has fallen short of your expectations for us. We have allowed sin to take place, to exist within us, and we have justified it because we're not as bad as other people, or maybe we're just like other people. And we've justified why it's okay that we have some of these cracks in our lives. But we recognize today that you are not okay with your people settling for less than the best. Lord, you call us to be pure. You call us to be holy, to walk in righteousness, to honor you in the way that we live our lives. And for too long, we've been okay with just walking around with all the cracks. Lord, we need you to make us whole. Lord, where we have allowed sin to remain, I pray right now that you would forgive us of our sin. But Peter and John, they were just like us. 
Peter declares openly, I am a sinner. And Lord, today we declare that we too are sinners and we need your grace. We pray that you would forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray that from this moment forward, as we walk out of this place today, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would guide our every step, that you would help us to be that incredible reflection of you. Lord, help us to show what it is to be whole. We are surrounded by people who have cracked eggs. Lord, help us to show the world around us that we can be made whole again. Forgive us, empower us, and we'll give you praise for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I knew the song that they were going to end with, uh, with the worship team this morning, and it is such a beautiful song, and I just want to challenge you briefly with that. In Matthew 28, we are told to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are told to go and to be the light to a world that desperately needs us. I'm going to tell you, if your egg has been cracked and God has made you whole, you are the perfect missionary to a world that is full of cracked eggs. Maybe today you could be that hope to someone else pointing them to Jesus and showing them I can be made whole and therefore you can too. I challenge you, you be the light to a world that desperately needs it around you. Uh, today, it was also mentioned there is a graduation. We're, we're celebrating the graduates and we set up tables in between the two services. Uh, you'll see in, the, in between the two buildings, there are tables that are out there. Just stop by and celebrate those three individuals. The three individuals that are graduating this year from our youth ministry include uh, Camilla uh, Castaneda. Some of you will be familiar. It's a family that's been in the church for a long time. Then Shane, uh, his sister was the one who was singing over here. Now to my right, it'd be to your left. Uh, Shane Forrester and then Jason Hartmans and all three of them I believe God wants to do something great through them I also take this as an opportunity to challenge you you need to be praying for them just as Jerry mentioned earlier there is a world of disinformation that is out there there are many voices that are out there and they are tugging for the attention of our young people not just the three that are graduating but tugging for the attention of every one of them and we need to be constantly lifting them up before the Lord because we want them to have the wisdom that says, I want God's plan, not everybody else's plan for me. So pray for them. I encourage you with that. It is such a blessing to have each of you with us today. And uh, if you can't come back next week, uh, by the way, Pastor Jim Hansen is going to be speaking next Sunday. You do not want to miss what he's going to be sharing. Thank you so much for being with us. Go in peace.